Welcome back into Straight From The Pitch. I'm Anna Witte, joined as always by my co-host, Scotty Schweitzer. Today on the show, we have a guest. We have former U.S. Men's National Team and MLS goalkeeper, Tony Miola. Tony, thanks so much for coming on the show. Before we get into all MLS, Scotty brought up a great point about you, Tony. It used to be an actor Uh-oh. on Broadway. <laughs> Tell us about it. Why, why that? Wow, I did. I didn't know that's how far back we were going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did a little off-Broadway. Um, I, I suppose it wasn't that much of a stretch. It was Tony and Tina's Wedding, which is like one of the more famous interactive uh, shows in New York. But I did it for a while uh, in an off-season. But, yeah, that's as far as we went. <laughs> but anyways, thanks, you... Kathy, for bringing that up. Job, buddy. <laughs> how did you get into it? Well... When I did go to class in college, I was studying to, <laughs> broadcast and communication and, and, you know, theater were kind of my majors. And um, like I said, when I did uh, go to class, uh, so I was kind of trying to convince my parents that I did actually go to some of the classes. So this was a way of me showing them that I had learned something along the way. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's as far as it went. But, um, yeah, and then, then you know, that's a show that um, – in New York, historically, they would bring sort of people from the outside. Lee Mazzilli, who was a, an old Nets player, like he played that role. And um, a bunch of guys from Howard Stern's show back in the day, they played certain roles in that uh, as well. So they would sort of uh, intermix and, you know, different athletes and, and actors from other shows and, you know, just, just different personalities. So they came to me. It was an off season. It was the just before MLS started. So it would have been uh, like 95, like that winter. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. And I, I thought I was only going to do, I don't know, like four weeks. And it ended up being like 12 weeks. You know, they're like, we're selling out. Let's just keep going. And it was so hard because at that time, I'd just come off the World Cup and everyone knew me. I was playing the part of Tony because that's the lead character, but they knew me as Tony Miola. So when they called me Tony, it was okay. I don't remember the character's last name. I don't know even know if the character had a last name. But you have to stay in character. It's interactive. And so many people had soccer questions, and I had to, like, make up stories, you know, during the show. Like, um, But anyway, it was cool, and, and at least I can say that I, I did something like that, down, you know, now that I'm 50-whatever-I-am-now-3. So, um, yeah, it was a neat, neat experience, and, and I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's helped you a lot with your broadcasting career, too, in some ways, when you come yeah, to you know, of yourself. And I, I never thought um, I would be doing this, for sure. It wasn't part of the, the plan. Um, I got into it sort of in a, in a weird way on, on SiriusXM years ago, and that's been 11 years now. Um, but I never, when I was done playing, I mean, I walked away for two years. I didn't want anything to do with the media. I didn't want to answer any questions. I hated it when I was playing. I just knew it was a necessary evil because we were we were growing the game in the country. You know, we we didn't you you couldn't say no to an interview, right? Because that wouldn't have helped the game. Now it's a little bit different, right? We're we're in different times, and I understand that. But there was a whole group of guys in my age, and in and around you know those early late eighties, early nineties, where you had to do everything. And then when I was done, I'm like, I never want to do that. And then. Then things changed and one interview in Washington. And before I knew it, I was hosting a, a radio show for three hours a day. Don't, don't, and I still, I, I think back on it like, holy cow, that, that happened so fast. And what am I doing here? You know, how am I doing this? But 
um, anyway, that's the that's the short uh, version of it. And but I'm happy because you know as much as I want to be on the field and coach, and I've had my fix with the youth national teams for about five and a half years. I did it professionally, and I still one day want to get back on the field. Um, I've worked with some of the neatest people um, that you can imagine over the last 11 years, and that's kind of what's kept me in it. So, and, and a lot of people who care about the game and care to grow the game and um, realize how important it is. And then I've worked with people that are just coming up. You know, you and I have had discussions about the business and how you know you you can make your way in the business. And I I love seeing those stories happen. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's awesome. Well, that's why you're here. You're talking MLS, NWSL. We have you here for starters talking about FC Cincinnati. They're, they have five wins in their last six regular season games. They haven't had Brenner for their last five games. Why? What's been going right for FC Cincinnati? Well, it's an amazing story, right? And they won't have Brenner now with the injury and with the window mm-hmm. coming. He's headed uh, to Italy. Um so they, they've decided now that he's going to go back and get rehab, I believe, in Brazil. And then so he won't be with the team anymore. But I think they've been planning on this uh, for a little while. And, and if you think about the first three years of existence for them, this is their fifth year. Uh, they won the Golden Spoon. And in MLS, that's not a good thing. That's the team three years consecutively with uh, the worst record in Major League Soccer. And then Pat Noonan goes in there, Chris Albright, who was at Philly, goes there first, brings Pat Noonan in as the manager, one of the young and up-and-coming managers in Major League Soccer. And they bring in Brandon Vasquez, and they change the system, and they bring in Dominic Kinnear, who was was, uh, head coach, has won MLS Cups, came from being an assistant coach in L.A. at the Galaxy when Greg Danny went there. He no longer wanted, um, uh, you know, he wanted to bring his own staff into the L.A. Galaxy. So Dominic goes there a a guy that should be a head coach in Major League Soccer is an assistant coach there and he's got a great reputation with uh, players. Kenny Arena, Bruce's son, goes there as well as an assistant. And they put a, put together a really good competitive team. And they play, which you don't see a lot, they play the 3-5-2 in, in Cincinnati. And it's all about attacking wingbacks and flying guys forward. And they're a counterattacking team. And then they, they build this beautiful facility um, and over the last two years, they've been a team that's been difficult to, to compete against. I think they're still undefeated at home going into uh, this weekend. And um, they, they've done such a great job of changing the culture at that club. And, and I still think that's the hardest thing to do is change the mentality and the culture. And keep in mind, they've done all of this with, with uh, the inability to bring players in over the last couple of years because of some, some sanctions and stuff that happened to them. And um, so credit to them. They're an exciting team. I, I actually picked them to win the Eastern Conference. Um, I, I did pick Philly to eventually come out of the Eastern Conference because I think there's a little bit of unfinished business for the Philadelphia Union uh, with what happened last year. But I, I mean, since he's on a run right now, they, they could win the supporter shield. Tony, you, you mentioned earlier, um, and people that might not know, me and you, we grew up together in New Jersey. You're from Kearney. I'm from Rowway. You're two years older than me. We played club soccer together. Um, we played against each other, MLS, and different things in different leagues. But you mentioned earlier about the culture and things. And I think when you look at some of these MLS teams, really – the ability on the field is not that different. It's the culture being set and the type of players that they have that believe in the culture. We can look at St. Louis as a, as a first-year team and what they're doing. And you're right, Cincinnati, 
I, I watch them in that this three five two and how they're compact and they're tight and how they play so well. But their players are willing to do it, and it, and it comes from that coaching staff because those are guys. Noonan was coming up when I was ending when we were ending, so he has the history and was taught by guys. Because a lot of people don't know that the World Cup in '94 coming here. We weren't going to get that World Cup unless we started a league two years later, which then becomes the MLS. So players like yourself that built this league, now you have players that aren't willing to do interviews, aren't willing to put it in, aren't willing to play for their city. Can you talk about how the game has changed in those terms? Because me personally, I think the players are just as talented, if not more talented, skill-wise, skill set, and athleticism, but the nuances of the game and the, the love of the game to me seems a little bit different these days. Yeah, great question. Um, aside from the part when you reminded everyone that I was two years older than you, but that's, that's a different <laughs> story. Um, uh, yeah, look, it's completely different. And, and this is, for guys who grew up in our in our era, this is what we hoped for, right? This is if we didn't get to this point, I, I don't know that we thought we would get here so quickly, but if we didn't get to this point at somehow at some point, I think we maybe would have thought we missed the boat a little bit, right? And we didn't do a good job. Now, we didn't know there would be these beautiful stadiums just popping up and we would be at 29 teams, going to be at 30 teams now with San Diego. And, and who's to say that they're going to stop at 30 teams, right? With people are paying half a billion dollars for franchises right now, which costs more than it does to, to buy some Premier League teams, right? If you really think about that, that's that's kind of weird, right? Um, yeah, the, so the culture has changed. I think the biggest difference is the number of young players that are coming through the system because the system for me is a little bit better. The academy has changed things. Um, the way youth national teams are run changes things. I mean, look, we have – we had Roma – thinking about Brian Reynolds when he was a backup right back two years ago at FC Dallas coming by him from FC Dallas. I mean, for a European team back in the day to buy a player in our league, um, they had to be like the superstar, you know, they had to be the guy at the top, the guy that was scoring goals, the, 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 the guy, if you will, right. We've got guys scouting everywhere. Now I remember my, my time with the youth national team, I mean, we literally had to tell agents at some point you couldn't come to the hotel anymore because they were so enamored with, you know, or they had to come at certain times, I should say. And they're so enamored with young American talent because there's so many kids now. There's so many good players. What I don't know, you know I think you, you mentioned New Jersey, and I've said this time and time again. Are we creating another Tab Ramos, like, like a special, special player? like a guy that could take you on and, and, you know, do we create another Hugo Perez? Like I hate going to watch youth soccer games because all I hear, and we always say we never create a number 10, right? Well, all I hear every time I go to a youth tournament is every parent going pass the ball, don't hug the ball. I'm like, well, how are we going to develop dribblers in this country? If we tell them all the time, they got pass the ball all the time because that's what fits what's going on. I know that's a bigger discussion, but kind of goes along with, sort of development, but we have so many good young players. I mean, look at the players that are going to Europe now at such a young age. And again, there were only, it was only the elite guys, the John Harkses, Ramoses, uh, Peter Vermes is at the time. And I know I'm staying in New Jersey for a lot of these guys, because you know the names, but there's others obviously. And we, th there's just a bigger pool. And that's why we can support the league right now uh, from the bottom up with young players. Um, and you go, I think this week, this past weekend was the first time we had in the history of our late league, six 
six guys the age 20 or younger that scored goals on the weekend in our league. So we, we, we a little bit of history for Major League Soccer this weekend, but it goes to show that these young players are, are, are really good players. We look at what we're doing with the under-20 team now. Like, our under-20 team just qualified for the second round. They played New Zealand, I think it's today. Yeah, and they they full nine points. They don't concede a goal in the first round. We've never done that before. We've been to the quarterfinals the last three times, and that's kind of been the benchmark. And it was canceled two years ago for COVID, so we skipped the cycle with the under-20s, which really hurts. But just goes to show, we're talking about we don't have – Gutierrez from uh, Chicago. We don't have Paxton Aronson who's playing in Germany. Um, you know, so we don't have guys going to the World Cup. Uh, Jalen Neal from the LA Galaxy. And we're still competing like this. This never would have happened in the past. Never. You always had to have your best players. So, um, you know, obviously this is a team they're talking about might have a chance to get to a final of a World Cup. Like those conversations never happened before. So when you talk about the difference, I think that's kind of, yeah, that kind of sums up the difference. We'll eventually get to the national team stories and everything, but just to say with MLS at the point, because you mentioned the culture, we're talking about the culture, the culture in LA with the LA Galaxy right now has suffered a little bit. Uh, they've suffered three defeats in their last three games. They haven't been able to score a goal. Lost to Charlotte this past week. I know Chris Klein, a lot of you know the fans have called for big changes over there, and we saw what happened with the players and the coach having a conversation with the fans after the game in Charlotte, rather against Charlotte this past weekend. What's a good next practical step? If they're not going to move away from Klein or from Banny, What's a good practical step that you think these fans could get behind? That's a that's a good question. Uh, the next practical step, I think, is to talk to somebody like Chris Klein. And I saw the the, the video that you're mentioning. Greg Vanny was at the podium. They've been dying for Chris Klein to talk for weeks. And look, Chris Klein's a dear friend of mine. He's an ex-teammate of mine. We won a championship together. We have a long history. But I think he's done a really poor job of, of being the face of that organization when they needed a face, right? When they needed somebody to talk to the fans. Keep in mind, they protested for quite a while. I, I want to say like six weeks. I could be off by a week or two. But anyway, they protested for a while. They've, they've said now we're done with our protest. We want to support the players. We're going to go back into the stadium. And they still, it wasn't, there wasn't even like a, a thank you. Like we know there is a problem. Um, we're, we're addressing things. Remember, they have sanctions too. They can't do anything in the transfer window. They've got two sanctions. And I think that's what LAF, I'm sorry, LA Galaxy fans aren't happy about because they really haven't been transparent with saying, Hey, look, we messed up. Um, we, we, let's face it. They cooked the books, right? <laughs> a little bit. And, um, we need to do better here. And they're, they're hearing it from the fans right now. Doesn't help that your noisy neighbors, LAFC come in town and they win a championship and galaxy will always say, well, we've got five MLS cups. We all get it. But, we're kind of all thinking about now, like what's going on now, right? Because that's who fans are. They'll they'll hang on and they'll be proud about those things, but they want more and they want more. And as fans, we're always, I'm a Milan fan, right? And seeing them in Champions League semifinal, like I want more. And I'm really good at spending the owner's money, right? And, and all the players I want to bring in, like we're fans, right? we're always good at spending all their money and, and how things are going to run. I will say it's, I don't think it's been handled properly. Uh, but but I also will put the caveat behind it that says 
We don't really know ever what's going on behind closed doors. Like we have no idea. Um, not with when managers make lineups, not when stuff like this happens. Um, it's a really tough time right now at the Galaxy because I think most of us and most people around the world, when you talk about their brand, if you will, think about the LA Galaxy as being at the top all the time, right? And uh, that's certainly not the case right now. When, when, when you talk about that they have sanctions, and I, and I understand that, and we, we always mention you do not know what's going on in locker rooms. That's, if you knew what was going on in locker rooms, it, things would make a lot more sense to, to the fan base, to everything. But when I look from the couch, they still have a lot of good players on the field that there's something off. There's just something like, and, and it's hard as a player to, when your organization is going what they're going through, to leave that outside the field. And it just seems like there's just a big disconnect all the way through. And I think it started last year. The fans saw it last year, the, the real diehard fans. So, like, I understand that, you know, we have friends in the business and stuff, and, and that's tough, but, but it is a business at the end of the day. And for me, I think there needs to be a coaching change. There needs to be a change because at this time in the season, I mean, you just can't get enough players just to replace everybody. And then recently they came out with all those salaries. And for players to be making what they're making and then what they're producing on the field, to me, is just not good enough. Well, yeah, it's not been good enough. Um, and sure, you can fire Greg Vanny right now if you want. It still doesn't solve the problem that they have two transfer windows where they can't bring players in, right? So, and I, and again, that's what fans are unhappy about. That's the first thing they're unhappy about. We talk about cultures. We just talked about Cincinnati a little while ago, right? The culture's there. What happens? You start winning games. I think if you look at, you, you mentioned rosters and names. If you look at both of the just take those two rosters, a team at the top of the East and a team at the bottom of the West. Some people might arguably make the case that LA, uh, LA Galaxy have a better roster, right? But again, it's about the culture. You start winning games. You have a good feeling about yourself. Your fans are behind you. Um, think about going into work every day and, and hearing the stories about the fans are unhappy. They want to leave the stadium. And you think about all the negative energy that comes in. Now we're not winning games and, um, we thought that Open Cup win last midweek uh, last week uh, would help uh, the LA Galaxy. It really didn't. They got waxed on the weekend, right? I mean, they just they just didn't play well again. They got one of the most exciting midfielders in all of the league, and Ricky Pooch, and um, can break down any defense, but they don't really get the job done. And they make mistakes, and they they've gotten a couple bad calls too. I will say that in crucial periods, like five or six weeks ago, the handball. Uh, that was called on Yovelish. I mean, there's a bunch of instances. You add all of that up and think about going into the dressing room every day, right? We've all been kind of part of when it's not going well, right, and how you feel. And it just seems a lot of negative energy uh, with the Galaxy right now. They, they've got to they've got to find a way. I don't I don't know if Greg firing Greg Vanny is the right job. I'm sorry, is the is the right thing to do? Then who do you bring into the job that one wants the job? Two thinks that they can be successful at the job. And how many managers go to a team where you can't make any changes, <laughs> right? When Because you're normally getting fired because your team's not doing well and you come in, you have different ideas and you want to make changes, but they can't do that there. They, they, they don't have that opportunity. But my, my only, and I know they had it a little bit different, but Man U was pretty much in the same boat. And they just, and, and that's, I'm not even saying like, I don't know Greg Vanny as far as the coach in the South. He could be a great coach, but, once in a while, you lose the ear of your player. And when you lose that locker room, 
There just has to be a different voice, a different – because I think this team could turn it around. I, I don't know if they can turn it around this season, but to let it go then as a player, you, you want your ownership and your group to be as invested as you are as a player. So to me, it looks like just as, the, as a fan sitting watching these games is like, I understand we can't bring, but we can do different things. We can try different things. We can do some stuff that we just have to show that there's got to be, we're playing for the people. It, it seems like sometimes when they go on the field, like they're just happy to be there. And, and that's, I think there's a good enough coaches that are floating around the league. Shoot, Dominic Kinnear, we just said it's in Cincinnati. He's a great head coach. <laughs> he knows the area. Yeah. You know, I'm just, there's people around that are floating around that but, could save this organization, I feel, from what they're in right now. Yeah, look, I know that's what it looks like from the outside. Again, you bring Dominic Kinnear back now because remember, he was the interim coach twice, right? When Ziggy initially left, and then uh, who else left after him? Uh, Scalotto left after him. And he was, and then Greg didn't want him, and and you know, there's there's all of these, um, you know, there's all these things you can change. Remember, Greg Vanny's won an MLS Cup within the last five years. Well, it was 2018, so you know, five or six years ago. It's not like the guy didn't forget how to manage. And I, for me, I'm not a Galaxy fan, so I I could care less uh, in the end, like who coaches and if they win and if they don't win. It doesn't matter. I just cover it. Uh, you know, every week. Um, I, I just don't know that right now firing the manager is the way to go. We have this case in in, in Kansas City with, with Peter, right? A dear friend of mine. I mean, I grew up and, and I talked to him on a weekly basis and he heard all the calls. He saw the signs that they were showing on television. And But this this guy's an institution there. Did he forget how to coach, right? You make changes. But remember, up until the Seattle game, uh, which we called on Fox two weeks, two weekends ago. Um, there, that was the first time. And think about our league in 603 days that Peter had all three designated players on the field healthy, and one of them could only go 45 minutes. He knew he was only going 45 minutes. The other one was supposed to go about 80 minutes, 75 to 80 minutes. He ended up playing 90, Alan Polito, because he had no more substitutes left. <laughs> you know, so. Do you you got to look at the the big picture? And I'm not a I'm not a fire person now. Like I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm not to go fire the guy. I'm like, do we have a solution here? Based on, because I just think Scott and Anna, when you make changes like that, we see this in the NWSL. I'm amazed how many people how people think because you have good players on your team and you have call them name players or players that have been successful in league, whatever way you want to term. You keep making coaching changes, and, and a lot of them justified, I understand. But to think then the product on the field won't be affected by all of these changes is just, for me, is not realistic. Um, so we've had instances, and we've had a bunch of managers fired already in Major League Soccer, and we're going to see more over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure of it. Um, but it's, I think owners are always looking to see if, if the solution is in front of their face before they go and try and find it from the outside. What at what point then is it a good time to fire a coach? Like if it's not match day, if it's not before match day fifteen, you know. It's, speaking of Kansas City on the women's side, after match day three, they get rid of their head coach. So at what point in the season, to you, do you think, or even if it's postseason, should owners start moving on from their head coaches? Well, one, I think any time if you think that the locker room is lost. Right. And you have to determine that. So I don't care if it's it's good. I don't care if it's week one or, yeah. 10, you know, that that's always the question mark. 
isn't LA Galaxy kind of less like with Chicharito saying it's not about you can't just blame the players. There's more people responsible for our losses. Well, I think he, yeah. See, it, I think he was talking about ownership, like because he was asking, answering the same questions all the time about the fans and about how do you guys adjust and and I could see his frustration. And we had him, we actually had him the next the next weekend after that. So we asked him about it because I thought he was really unclear with when you say you know, more people need to do something. Like, I'd rather you go, you know, so-and-so needs to do something and, and put a name behind it. Because then, you know, if you're a player, you're thinking, if you're talking about the game, you're well, is he talking about me or is he talking about the other guy? Then I've got questions. I, I just think if you put those statements out, you have to be really, really clear. But to answer your question, um, if you look at the calendar, we're about um, five weeks <clears throat> excuse me, about five weeks from League's Cup playing. And you can frame League's Cup, and every manager is framing it a different way. Some are going to use it as a second preseason. Some are going to use it to compete and, and get their rosters ready. Um, we've heard just about every sort of scenario from coaches throughout the year. If you're going to make a change, I think you're going to see them before League's Cup, um, where you can hopefully use League's Cup to work on whatever it is you want to work on, and then get ready for the second part, which will be about two-thirds of the season um, done for Major League Soccer in the league at that point. I mean, you continued to talk about Peter Vermees, and we'll we'll track back to that because that was a conversation Scotty and I have been talking about. They started off the regular season 0-10. You mentioned the fact that they've started to get injured players back on the field. They got some results, then they lost to St. Louis by a, a pretty good margin. He also has two roles within that club where he is the manager, but yeah. he's also the sporting director. That may be – that's not allowed in NWSL. So in MLS, how does that play out when you're not getting the results? Um, well, remember, he comes off a, a big win as well this weekend, right? So the, the, you can look at the, the way that they look at it. Um, so of that four-game stretch where he won two, drew one, and then the last game was away – so he three so three of those four were away against the top three teams in the Western Conference, right? So he goes and beats Seattle, you know, and he, at the end of that, at the end of that, they took a whooping um, to a St. Louis team who was really really fresh. Uh, Kansas City had the midweek game, um, and St. Louis didn't have a midweek game, so they had a complete week to to, to prepare for all of that. Um, so when you're looking at it from sort of 36,000 feet, right? You you look at the big picture. Um, so they picked up, what, seven of of 12 points in that stretch. And then they followed up again because, they're remember, they're in their period right now where they have four of their next five. Well, we, they just played one of them, which they got full result, but four of their next five at home. So Children's Mercy Park has been a fortress for them uh, in the past. Hasn't been this year. You mentioned the first 10 games of the season. They only had three draws in that first 10 games of the season. So they picked up three of 30 points. Now they've picked up seven of 12, which I guess would be 10 of 15 points now uh, in the last five. So it's a pretty good turnaround when you think about it big picture. Um, the dual role thing, I think, has come into question. But keep in mind, he's got Brian Bliss, who is really the scout, who is really the guy going to find players, who's doing sort of the leg work and the dirty work for Sporting Kansas City. Um it, so it's not as if Peter's not really focused on the day-to-day -day, uh, because he's got guys – he's the guy ultimately making decisions. Keep in mind, in Kansas City, it's really unique. 
Peter was part of building that stadium, right? Help literally help build that stadium from top to bottom. From the minute you walk into the training facility to how you walk through the facility. I, I, I equate it uh, for people. You know when you walk to Ikea and they have all the, the arrows on the ground, you know, and they tell you which way to go? Well, that's how the training facility is basically without the arrows. You know when you walk in the building, you stop and you, you know, you pick up your shake before you go in the locker room and then you go in and you, your gear is all set out for you. And then you go outside and you get your boots on the way in. There's the six recovery stations. Like he's part of the fabric there. So if you're going to make a change with Peter Vermes, well, oh, I believe is the longest tenured coach, right, in our league. Um, he has to be by far. You're, you're going to change a big part of the culture. So you better be really sure that that's the change you, you want to make. Uh, because it could go the other way for you. Um, I, I agree. I'm not a big fire kind of guy, but it is a business and we, we kind of have to do that. I have two things for you. One is I feel that the teams that do really, really well, their designated players don't have the same egos as some of the other designated players. Like I, I think like when you look at St. Louis, man, those guys really love the game and they embrace the MLS style. And, the MLS is not an easy league. It's a physical, it's a fast pace, it's athletic, it's skill, it's got a little bit of Latin, it's got a little bit of old school European. So it's not an easy league to just come into. I remember Beckham when he first got here, man, he had a hard time transitioning to, to the pace of the game. And that's coming at, you know, where he was playing Real Madrid, PSG, these top, top teams, top leagues. The other thing, though, is I feel in America we have a problem with we have egos as coaches, we have egos as players, but sometimes when it's better for the team, it's better for me to step away. And, and in Kansas City's, I think Vermees could step away from the coaching and then just become the sporting director. If, if that was, and again, we don't know what's, if he's lost the locker room, if the game has, he's trying to play a style of play. Like I think Bradley's having trouble in Toronto because he wants to play Bob Bradley style soccer and he doesn't have the horses to do it right now. So, like, if you're not going to adapt and change based on what you have, then then you're not going to get all the results you always want. So is that something that, you know, maybe Peter could step away from the coaching duties and step back up into the and, and you know, keep keep Kansas City going forward? He obviously loves the place, but maybe coaching isn't the right thing at, at the time. Yeah, look, I think, but I, I agree with you, but I think if he gave up a role, it would be the other way around. He'd give up the sporting director role um, and focus on the coaching. Remember, this guy's won two MLS Cups. He's won, what, three Open Cups and not all that long ago. Um, and I still think, and, and keep in mind, when Dave Sarakin took the job a couple of years ago with the national team as the interim coach, they wanted to bring Peter Vermes in. So people, people in the industry think really highly of him because of his direction. Right. And with regards to losing the locker room, you still got guys that he's really loyal to that I think in, in talking to all of them feel like they still owe Peter. Roger Espinosa, Graham Zussi, uh, Tim Melia, you know, guys like that. Daniel Shallowy, who he gave an opportunity to. Um, Johnny Russell, who I interviewed the day the day he walked into the facility years ago, was five or six years ago now. And, you know, and talking to him now, like he still seems to see, feel the same way about Peter. The difference in Toronto is the leaders of TFC were the guys that started this, I don't know what you call it, rebellion or whatever it was against Bob Bradley and, and had the locker room going. The difference in Kansas City is that the leaders are the ones that are saying, no, this is the right guy. We just need to be better. So there's two different scenarios. Um, 
and in Bob Bradley's and keep in mind, Peter Hermes at the beginning of this year signed a five new five year contract right at the club. So when you think about firing him, think about it from an owner's standpoint, where he's one of the highest paid managers in the league. And now all of a sudden you're gonna have to eat five years of salary <laughs> for firing him. So there's a lot of dynamics to go in. And, and I don't know that they cared that much, but it is Kansas city. It's not like it's a massive spending team in our league. Um, so they would take that into consideration, but they gave him the deal because they feel confident that he can get the job done. And, and Toronto, Bob is on in the second year of a five-year deal, right? And Bob's got to be on some big money, whatever it is. And it just hasn't worked. And, and, Oddly enough, this weekend with Bernadeschi being out, they get the win with Insigne, you know, and two assists there and young players stepping up for Bob. It's kind of an un-Bob-like team, if you will. But they got to straighten things out in in, uh, Toronto. And the big difference between the two teams we're just talking about now, Toronto's the number one spending team in the league. Sporting Kansas City is not, right? Toronto is way up there. And I get Insigne, $14 million and all of that stuff that takes a big chunk of it. But you're still the highest spending team in the league. You should be creeping towards the top of the table. Um, and he has had injuries. Um, Insigne was out for a little while, and now he's back and seems to be fully fit. But it's never, it's never as easy, I think, and I think we probably all agree, that it looks like from the outside, right? It's just never that easy. Um, because when you make changes at those big clubs – you you risk changing the whole dynamic of the building, and that could be a good thing. Uh, it could also be a bad thing in the end. Totally fair. Makes sense. I mean, at the same time, though, it makes it gives us conversations and things to talk about and to talk yeah. through why things are happening. And if those things happen, like, for example, Kansas City went to – rather, Kansas City Current, so the women's team in NWSL went to the, the championship last year. They move on from that head coach three games into the next season – now they're at the bottom of the table, aren't getting results, not even scoring goals. So that maybe is a effect of a, a negative change. We'll see. We're still in the middle of the spot of the NWSL season, but always interesting to talk about. Let's continue talking about coaches. Let's shift it over to the U.S. men's national team. They've Anthony Hudson left the men's national team. Now B.J. Callahan steps up from that assistant role into the head coach, interim head coach role for Gold's Cup and League's Cup. What do you think of this call and why do you think they went with an interim coach rather than hiring someone full-time at this point? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, first off, good Loaded question. <laughs> yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of layers in that one. Um, you know, good luck to Anthony Hudson, right? He did a good job as the interim coach. It looks like he's going to go someplace in the in the Middle East right now. We'll probably hear something uh, in the near future. But um, this comes at a bad time for the U.S. This whole thing has come for a ba- at a bad time. The U.S. soccer will tell you, we have time. Um, we're going to go after the Women's World Cup and hire somebody. I know the inter- interview process is going on. Um, I-, I just... I just don't know why we've taken so long to hire a coach. I get the Women's World Cup is here, but if we hire a, um, a head coach now, does that take away any any um, luster about what's going to happen with the women's national team? Like, what are we waiting for? Um, and I know the, the, the new leadership there says we've got time. This whole thing about we have a, a blank canvas, like I keep hearing that all the time. They said we can change everything. Well, we're not changing anything. We need the right guy. We know we essentially, most of us can essentially pick two-thirds of the national team for 2026. 
right now, right? We can pick Christian Pulisic is going to be part of the team. We can pick Tyler Adams is going to be part of the team. And Matt Turner is going to be part of the team. And Miles Robinson, and, and you know, the list goes on, right? We can pick all. We need someone to guide them. We have a World Cup coming to our country, um, well, right after, you know, it's three years from now right? Essentially three years. If we wait another couple of months, we're going to miss the Gold Cup. We're going to miss the Nations League, two tournaments where the coach could have an opportunity to manage. I just don't know what we're waiting for. And I've said this from the time this whole issue started with Greg Berhalter. I know U.S. soccer doesn't want to hear it. Um, They have it all figured out and that's fine. But I think most of us are sitting back going, what are we waiting for? We see guys, we see countries all around the world how many how many countries around the world sit for more than two weeks without a national team coach? <laughs> go go do the research. It doesn't happen. You fire a guy at the World Cup two weeks later, you got somebody. And because you should have Ernie Stewart left, oh, I'm, I'm going to guess around two months ago, right? So, somewhere around there. He left around two months ago. When he left, if you recall, he said he had a list of names of man- potential managers uh, for the national team. Apparently, he didn't leave the list with anybody, right? Because we, but but that's the truth. They didn't leave the list with anybody because now I feel like we're starting all over again, right? And all my buddies in this industry say the same thing. I mean, my my text, you know, when it come when it comes to this, is the same thing. What are we doing? Why why are we waiting to hire a coach? Like, what's the process? What canvas are we painting? We essentially know the team. It's a younger team. It's an energetic team. They're all good athletes. Like, we know what style of team. If you have an older group going into 2026, you know, older veterans like a Croatia this this time around, right? Like a team like that with some older veterans who have already been to a World Cup final. you got to bring in a different kind of coach. Um, you have to figure out who's the – I still think that there's – there's not a lot of mystery with this group moving forward in 2026. We just hope we're a better version in 26 than we were in, in 2022 in Qatar, which I thought we got as far as we should have gotten in that World Cup, right? But now it's the next step for us. Um, and I don't know how you guys feel about the World Cup, but I, I still I thought that was the end of the road for us against the Netherlands. I thought that's where we would go and that's where we, where we would be. So I guess a little bit confused. Uh, B.J. Callahan's going to be the coach. And as I say all the time, our national team coach, I'm going to support them, uh, whoever they are, whoever they choose. Uh, but I just don't know how we're still in this position. Yeah, the only team right now, and it's weird that you brought it up, but but Brazil doesn't have a coach, but they do, they're holding on for Ancelotti. And I they guess know they who want, they want. <laughs> right. They, they, they're like just waiting for him to see what his decision is. So like that, that one makes sense. And they're an older team that, you know, they have their – but I agree. We've been saying – And he's it. coached most of those guys. And he's coached so many of those guys, right? And and so they know him. Correct. And, and that's what, like, we, we've talked about it on, for us. Like, I feel – I in my own head, two names. I think Jesse Marsh would be a good coach for this <clears throat> national team. He's got a simplistic style of play. He's a lot about energy, which we have young players who are energized. We, we're going to have to play a defensive system the further up we go. And that was basically the Netherlands said to us, you can have the ball, you can have it for as long as you want, but when we decide to take it, we're going to take it and we're going to score on you. Um, I, I think Jesse Marsh would do a good job with the job, but I also think a play a coach like Luis Enrique out of Spain, he's another guy who's a high-energy guy. Now, does he know our players? And that's the problem with waiting so long, is we're, 
a national team coach, you're not getting these players all the time. You're only getting them sporadically a week here, a week there, if you're lucky. Yeah. So when you get into tournaments, the like the Gold Cup is a, is a huge platform for this coach to learn about his players, to learn, you know, how, how to interact, the, the dinners, the lunches, the, the team meetings, the, the energy or nervous energy in the locker room. Like these are things the coach is missing out on by us waiting. And I think you brought up the women's that like the federation is the federation. We, we, we can't be scared to hurt one's growth media wise because we're doing something for the federation in itself. And I think the girls, we need to play off the girls. They, they get their stuff taken care of. They, the players do their thing. The coaches, they get their coaching and their staff back in. The men's national team to me is like the longer we wait, the less candidates we're going to have because people aren't going to want the job. Who wants to work in that environment? Yeah. So there's a couple of things there, right? Or, or if you wait till the end of the European season, are you are you still um, as much as I want to coach here now? Are you looking at less candidates or more candidates at the end of the European season, right? So you can look at it that way. Are more people available when their club seasons are over? Uh, Luis Enrique, unfortunately, looks like he's going to go to Napoli, and I'm a Milan fan, so that doesn't thrill me at all because I love him as a coach. Um, and I, and uh, Napoli, I'm not a, I'm, I'm happy that they that they won the Scudetto, but I'm 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 not in some ways uh, because my entire family loves that team. With regards to Jesse Marsh, this is an interesting one, and I've said time and time again, I don't know that Jesse Marsh is the right guy unless he wants to change his style of play. Because if you want to press, and well, I'll call it the Red Bull way, right? Because this is how this is where he came up, essentially, right through Red Bull. I think that takes daily work if you want to be a pressing team. It doesn't take three days before a game for your national team players to fly in and then play two games in eight days when you have two training sessions, right? And you can only do so much from a video standpoint. So I wouldn't be opposed to Jesse Marsh, but for me, he's got to change style of play. Because pressing like that leads um, RB uh, Salzburg or Red Bull Salzburg, RB Leipzig, Red Bulls, and you go back right to all the way to the Red Bull days, and even in Montreal a little bit. But he wasn't; they didn't press his first job at Montreal um, the, the, as much as they did in the Red Bull system. That takes daily work. Those triggers take daily work. And I don't know that being in camp for two or three days before you're going to play a national team game, you have that time to do that, right? And so uh, as much as I wouldn't be opposed to him because he has international experience, he was at a World Cup with Bob Bradley. What was that? 2010, right? That was the landing goal in 2010. Uh, he's on the sideline there, so he gets all of that. Um, I think he would take pride in, in being the national team coach. It's always a scary part for me with foreigners. How much do they really care in the end? Or is this just the next uh, step to get to wherever the next step is that they want to get to, <laughs> right? And I say this in the league all the time. When you bring foreign guys, it's great. But how many foreign um, how many foreign managers, really, their dream is to coach in Major League Soccer, right? Or is it a job to prepare and then go to wherever it is you really dreamt about coaching your whole life, Right. So you have to weigh all of those things. But I, I think Jesse would be fine. I just don't know that he can play the same style that he plays at the club level. And most national teams, by the way, can't. They can't do that. Coaching aside, when you look at the talent that the men's national team has, they're athletic. If it's not going to be a press, what style within that system would fit that personnel best? Um, 
any if you want to press that that's okay but in certain, you can't press like Red Bull uh, but I think you you have to do things at a higher speed um, with younger players and you can right Croatia I mentioned them right because they were an older team we were the second youngest team in the world and I think England figured out that man athletically this is this is a hard team to keep up with at the World Cup right I mean truth be told we were the better side than England was at the World Cup and I think they all knew it you go to the Netherlands side Scott mentioned you know. Louis Van Gaal was going to sit back and he's going to let us have the ball because the further you sit back, right, the less room there is to run into. And then all of a sudden you start running out of ideas. Um, and I still think that that was the end of the road for us anyway, because if you go back and look at those two lineups and we came on air immediately after the match on Sirius that day. And my partner, Eric Winalda, he was so mad. And I said, what are you mad about? Because we need to win that game. I said, let me ask you something. How many players on our U.S. team would have started on that Netherlands team? And we went through them one one by one, and we didn't come up with one player in in the 11 versus 11. So when you think about it like that, is were, were we really at that level? Can we win that game? Yeah. If we don't make two mistakes at the back post and we mark players at the back post and Anthony Robinson on the third goal and we're still growing into the game. So all these little these little moments, right, you can change. But the reality is, if we play that game 10 times, we win once in that match. So for me, we went as far as we should have gone in that tournament. But it has to be something with speed, a counterattacking team, somewhere where, some way you can open up the legs. Or you got to run in behind all the time. Now, following Balagoon, I don't know if you've watched all the goals that he scored this, way, this year. He scores goals in a lot of different ways. He is going to change the dynamic for us. Let's just hope that he becomes the, the, the player that we think he can uh, become. Keep in mind, he's never put on a full U.S. men's national team jersey. He's only put on a U18 jersey <laughs> for the U.S. team. So there's still a lot of work to do. But, um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been bullish on this team since I had a lot of these guys at the youth national team level. And I always said, and everyone on my show used to yell at me all the time, why are you so worried about 2026? I said, because at that point, we're going to be like full pros for like seven, eight years, not like two years breaking into to teams, you know, three years. Like you're full pros in Europe. I think it could be a really good team. You're at home. Uh, let's face it. You're going to get a call at home, <laughs> right? Because this is FIFA. This is the World Cup. This is what happens. Um, and they should be a better side in 2026. When, when you talk about some of the foreign players, and, and I understand that these foreign players have American ties, but that's always my concern is, are they here as players to do what's best for the U.S. national team and understanding? Because I, I remember, again, we're, we're around the same age, so I remember how important the 94 World Cup was how big of a change it made in the United States. And then the, the run you guys went on, how important that was. Well, we're getting all these players that are coming over and, and sometimes really the only times they come over is when they're playing for the national team. They're not really from America. They're, they're you know, they military parents, maybe whatever they're indifferent. And that's one of the concerns for me is do they understand the impact that they're having on the future generations? Because right now the 20s, well, the 20s are you, amazing. So we, we, they're doing amazing playing there. Yeah. And, like, we have younger players. Well, remember, like, the 20s don't always translate to the full national team. We've learned that over the years. Like, that Italian, I bring up that Italian team with Del Piero years ago uh, that won the Youth World Cup, right? Del Piero was the only player in that whole group that played in Serie A. 
right? Just think about it in, in one small country. But you mentioned the foreign players. Did you like Thomas Dooley in 1994? This guy was playing at Kaiserslautern, right? Had, had American parents. One of the greatest defensive midfielders we've ever had in the system. Um, did you like Jermaine Jones in, you know, 2000, what was it, 10 and I guess 2014, right? Especially, um, did you like, I mean, there's so many guys. Wagerly, Tab Ramos wasn't born in this country, right? Moved to the U.S. Fernando Clavijo, um, I'm just thinking Hugo Perez. I'm just thinking that. I, I, you're, yeah, but you're you're naming guys also that like to me like they loved what they did. So like because of Jermaine Jones, because of the Dooleys, we now have Tyler Adams. We now have a Weston McKinney. And I'm not saying that they're equivalent. Or I'm just saying like that they're they also have to understand what they're doing. They're just not just playing a game. Like they, we're only. But that, I think that's too that's too simplistic because for these guys they are just playing a game and they're making a living. I don't think uh, Anthony Robinson like this is a guy that never played here, uh, but when he comes here everybody loves him, right? Everyone loves him. John Brooks for years was the same way. Now he fell out with the manager, and maybe we might see him again. Um, there's so many of those examples. Balogun is just the latest of the examples. Timothy Tillman now who's playing in LAFC who just had his one-time switch uh, approved by FIFA. Like, I, I can't question if they do, – do you love the U.S.? I, you made a choice. All I know, I'm going to judge you when you put a U.S. jersey on, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you by how much effort you give with the U.S. team, and that's all we can really do. Like, we never questioned – Thomas Dooley played in Kaiserslautern, you know, when he was playing here before he came to the U.S. after the World Cup and played in the league. Um did we question him or did we question Jermaine Jones when he wasn't living here? His dad, I believe, was also a military dad, if, I, right. if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that one. Like, do we question any of those guys? I think we just – the only thing we can do because world football has changed, right? We see guys all over – I mean, the French team in 2018, I think a third of that team was not born in France that won the World Cup. They were born somewhere in Africa, right? are owned by France. Yeah, so you look at that, and did we question them? No, we, we judge them on how they played on the field. Um, and I think I think that's what world football's become, right? Yeah, that, that, that I guess when I say it, that's what I mean. But, like, sometimes when I watch some of the guys, when they're on the field, it's it, it's not as and, – and, you like, Robinson, I, I've heard him talk. Like, it is as big to him. It is – representing his country even though he's been born in england and lived in england so long it's just certain players sometimes when i watch them you're like what are it's this is a big thing this is a big thing for youth soccer this is a big thing for american soccer like i just i need that effort you're gonna have bad games good games but the the effort and the and that's the only thing and, and again the, the players you named yeah they were starting and they were they were here to build the, they were here to build the league as much as anybody else to build the country to to give back in a sense and now that the, the world's so big, the sport is so big, some people are looking at it as just a stepping stone. Same as coaches looking at it as a stepping stone to, to leave. And I think that's where we get in trouble. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm never one to question any, anyone's effort. You know, I think when if you question effort, you really got to know that they didn't give an effort, right? Because some people give 100% effort, but they just play terrible on the day, right? And they, and they look like they didn't give an effort. But, um, I, I, you know, I, I'll, for me, having been in that position, um, I'll only judge those guys on, on what they do. And you hope at the end the manager 
whoever it is, right, sees that so-and-so, it didn't work today, or I didn't like the way it went, we make a change. Um, but for me, once, just like the manager, whoever the next manager is, I'm going to support the manager, 100%. I'm going to be behind the manager. I'm always behind the team. You guys probably know that because of my history. And um, whoever puts on that U.S. jersey, I'm rooting for them to do well uh, because they've made a decision. And for, like, Fowler and Balagoon, he, he had a decision between England, he was being called in this camp for the first time, or the U.S. He chooses to, to play for the U.S. I can't imagine that that's an easy decision. When you're an Arsenal player – on loan in in uh, France, and you're scoring goals, and you think you're going to come back to Arsenal. Now you get a call to the English national team, and you make a decision to play for us. He was born in New York. Uh, his mom, as a matter of fact, said to him right after he finally made the decision, she said, what took you so long? <laughs> because they all wanted him to play for the U.S. team. Uh, so those things I, I don't think are easy decisions um, uh, to make. And um, I'm uh, again, I'm, I'm – I'm just behind that team. I think they will be really good. I'm a little bit confused about the whole managerial thing right now, I'll be honest, but let's hope that that gets resolved and we just keep moving forward. Because as you said, this is important for youth soccer. It's important for the men's game. It's important for the women's game. Just like the Women's World Cup is equally as important for the men's game in our country as it is for the women's game in our country. It gives you hope to want to to, to get to those levels and, and compete and win things like like they have, and they've set the, the they're the standard bearers around the world, not just in the U.S. Our women's team around the world, uh, they've made more changes in in a game than maybe anybody's ever made, both on and off the field. Uh, came from our women's group over the last 10, 12, you know, fifteen years, um, and um, you know, we can only hope that that some of that translates to the men's team down the road. Well, BJ Callahan is the new interim coach for Nations League and Gold Cup coming up. So we will stay tuned for everything and how things develop within the U.S. men's national team as we head into 2020, 2026, 2023 right now. So, um, yeah, Tony, thank you so much for coming on and talking MLS, talking national team. It was fun to have you. And good luck this weekend yeah. with your games. Yeah, good luck and uh, appreciate the invite. And yeah, I don't know, I don't even know who I'm calling this week, but I, I know I have a game tomorrow night. <laughs> Two games on the weekend, so I better get to work. But appreciate you guys. Uh, I, I think I told you just so you know, you guys are like required listening for me every week because I gotta catch up on my uh, NWSL stuff as I continue to try and learn uh, that league, which I'm having a lot of fun doing, by the way. So thank you for. Uh, you didn't know you were helping me, but uh, you were. So I Good. appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to hear. Glad to hear. We love both leagues. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so we'll have more NWSL next week. But Thanks, everyone listening, you, please buddy. follow us on Instagram, Twitter at SFTP Pod and YouTube. We'll see you guys next Wednesday. Have a great week. <laughs>